Hello, Alan. Good morning, Richard. Alan, glad you can join me again to um, to continue our discussions. We thought today we might think a little bit about your experience of the Court of Protection because I think you have a fairly unique and, and really valuable uh, first-hand account of how that might be, which other people may find really interesting and, um, and informative. Uh, so that would be good to talk about and the associated sort of issues around vulnerability and why people might be in the Court of Protection. So I thought it might be a good place to start by just asking uh, you to say a little bit about what the court protection is and your experience of it. Yeah, so like I like I said in, in our previous recordings and that, um, obviously, obviously waking up out of the coma and obviously being told I had a brain injury and everything like that, everything that kind of was then followed after this. Uh, was pretty like brand new to me because I didn't really understand or know what a brain injury was about. Um, but I was told that um, something uh, called the court protection would be put in place uh, for, for my protection. And uh, I thought at first, oh, this is exciting. This makes me feel a bit famous and sort of like obviously special. Um, sadly, it's not. What it is, is it's there to protect me kind of like for the rest of my life to make sure that financially I'm I'm stable and able to live my life without worrying about not being at, not being able to live because I haven't got any money sort of thing. So the idea of the court protection is not to protect you from family, not to protect you from like boyfriend and girlfriends or friends or anything like that. They're, they're, they're there in place and there to support you kind of like throughout the whole of your life. So like not only do I as a person don't make rational decisions, but that people can't take advantage of me and, and take money from me in, in their clever ways because there's a lot of people out there that do this as a daily job like taking money from from people and looking looking for vulnerable people like myself because I've got quite a big heart and I'd happily give all the money that I owned to the world if I could solve problems for them and let people kind of live a happy life like myself but um I think I think being that bit older now and obviously having the experience of the court protection I wouldn't I wouldn't go back to change anything like because of the court protection, I live the happy life that I've got. I've got the things that I've got now, um, and they help me kind of being able to afford things that I'll need in the future. So so the idea of the court protection, um, obviously because my claim was settled and the age that I was, um, I went to see a number of experts um, who then had to write a report on me to see if I had what's called uh, the capacity to have and own the money that was obviously given to me after the claim was settled. So the term mental capacity um, sounds quite scary. And admittedly, when I was younger and earlier in my recovery, mental capacity sounds like a very big word. And if it's if it's a penalty and something like that, but it's not. So basically, the word sort of like mental capacity is is the kind of grammatical definition given to someone who is able or unable to look after a, a large sum of money. And after seeing these professors and experts and stuff like that, I was I was signed off as I didn't have the mental capacity to own the sum of money that I was going to be compensated after the accident. Uh, so like I say, my um, solicitor um, obviously then appointed me to the court of protection. And like I say, they're there to look out for me and to make sure that I spend money kind of in the right places and for the right things. 
So just for a bit of an example to people listening and for yourself here, Richard, if I was I was awarded the money, like I say, as compensation, and I wanted to go and buy a Ferrari, what the court protection would look at is, would I have had a Ferrari before my car accident? Is it something that I'm going to benefit from, not just today, tomorrow, and next year? Um, and is it really a clever idea for me to purchase a Ferrari, and what am I going to use it for? So obviously... Everyone obviously immediately would say, no, it's, it's, it's a very expensive car. I can't drive because of my eyesight. So it would be absolutely ridiculous me buying a car just to sit on my driveway. And the likelihood of me having a Ferrari before my car accident isn't impossible, but probably was less likely to be purchased than, say, maybe a Ford Escort or an Audi A4 or A3, more like family cars, more ideal cars, and obviously better priced. So, so again, coming back to the court protection, they're not there to make life difficult and always say no to everything that you want to buy. They're there just to kind of really help you and make you fully aware of the, the choices you're going to make. So, for example, if, if I was with the compensation money, I was going to purchase a wet room that was um, ideal for disabled people, let's say, who have mobility or wheelchair access use. Uh, the likelihood of the court protection turning around and saying yes, even if it costs round figures of £10,000, which to some people is quite a lot of money, but because it'd be used for disabled people like myself, if I needed a wheelchair, with others maybe who who are restricted to wheelchair use, the, the court protection are more likely to say yes, because not only would it benefit you today, tomorrow and next year and the year after, but it's more it's there to support me to make my life better than if I didn't have maybe the walk-in wardrobe or if I didn't have that wheelchair and, and didn't need to use that wheelchair. So, so like I say, just as a quick summary, what I'm trying to say is the court protection is there to help you make the right decisions for not only the present but the future as well. So you don't look back at the past and think, oh, I wish I hadn't have bought that and, oh, I was a bit impulsive in buying that and really buying that was was just a waste of time. So I don't know if, if that makes sense to yourself, Richard, but let me know if not. It does. It's really helpful, Alan. I think they're really useful definitions that you've given of what the court of protection is um, and its relevance to you and also the issue of mental capacity. Could I just ask, Alan, with, with regards to the capacity question and issue, what do you think it was that the experts saw that led them to conclude that you didn't have capacity to manage uh, a kind of larger sum of money? What what specifically do you feel uh, it was that led them to conclude that? So looking back at myself, like to who I am like today and what I've learned from from my past mistakes, um, I was I was very impulsive. Um, I was someone who would probably give money away quicker than being able to react, react to it, sorry, sort of thing. And um, being young and male, um, sometimes thinking that money can kind of resolve every issue, um, such as like getting a girlfriend, buying a girlfriend, blah, 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 which which really, in realistically, is, is not the way forward. Any girl that kind of wants to be with you just for money, in my eyes now, because of looking at my past, is is the wrong type of woman to be with. So just to elaborate on that, what I mean for that is, is um, 
on social media, for example, um, I had a couple of scenarios where women kind of befriended me, um, one of which played the long game and one of which played the short game, um, but both kind of wanting the kind of end result to be kind of money given to them for the wrong reasons and, and even fooled a lot of my friends, family, as well as myself. When I shared this short game, um, this was a kind of woman um, that kind of like straight went in with the the, the stupid question of, oh, can I borrow money uh, and of this amount? Uh, and again, stupidly, and because I haven't got the mental capacity, um, I gave money away only like £200, but still at the time, it's quite a lot of money. If I went and gave £200 to five different women, that's that's a thousand pounds in quite a short space of time. So, yeah, like I say, the short the short term game was she come right. She just quite frankly opened up and said, "I oh, can I have money?" And I would have given it to her, but thankfully because of support, um, I didn't. Uh, and then the long term game, um, there was a woman that kind of like befriended me. Kind of, we were chatting as friends, and then we started sending like photos and videos and blah 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 and. I'd say it was over like a two to three month period. Um, could have been longer, could have been slightly shorter. I can't quite remember, but I know it was a, a long term game, let's say. Um, and then kind of her end goal was to to kind of borrow a larger sum of money than the short term goal. Um, but thankfully, because her family stepped in at the right time, I'd only given away um, about £150 at this point, but um, she was asking for more. So this is where. This is where I think people who kind of are in my predicament with a brain injury and might be very kind and caring need to need to be a bit more cautious and um, have a few tricks up their sleeve to prevent these women from extracting money from them, really doing nothing at all, just being clever and playing mm. playing the long-term game. Yeah, and as you're talking, Alan, what I was thinking was that some of these things are very common now. So particularly... Uh, in view of the anonymity that the internet might provide people with um, and the way that social media works is that we're all vulnerable to scams, financial scams, and people trying to, um, you know, fraudsters trying to relieve us of our money. So the things that you were talking about aren't necessarily unusual. The implication of what you're saying about your impulsivity is that you are maybe more vulnerable to those things than maybe I might be. Or someone else might be. Is that fair? Do you think? Yeah, I'd say it is because obviously, obviously, a lot of a lot of our kind of like face to face meetings and stuff like that is is usually kind of based around sort of like social skills and that as well, which obviously we we spoke about in the past. And if you can't if you can't read social skills that well in person, then then how do you expect to be able to read anyone's social skills kind of behind the screen or behind a telephone sort of thing? So people like myself are that bit more vulnerable when it comes to people asking for money, because you might see a picture of an absolute goddess on the screen, but the person on the other end of the screen isn't isn't what you see sort of thing. So it, it's about sort of like setting up strategies and, and certain ways to make you clever enough to, to spot these before it's too late. And then you're wishing, oh, I wish I hadn't sent that money. Yeah. And you talked earlier, Alan, about impulsivity, which I think is a really important point and something that, uh, after a brain injury may be more of an issue for people because, again, I think we can all relate to this issue of impulsivity. We can all be impulsive in certain respects. And it's one of the things that 
maybe when people are marketing products, either on the TV or online or whatever, is that they're taking advantage of people's impulsivity a little bit, but that that may be more of an issue and certainly more of a risk after a brain injury. I think the other thing I was wondering about, Alan, that I was going to ask was that, do you think, because what you've highlighted really helpfully is some of the benefits and some of the, I suppose, some of the things that the court protection might help with, and it's clearly helped you in some ways, in, in, in the ways that you've described. Is there any downside to it? Are there any things that you can think are problematic about the court of protection for someone like yourself who's had a brain injury? Yeah, so kind of answering that, again, I'm going to look at sort of like past Alan to sort of like present Alan. So in, in my younger days and sort of like very early after my car accident, I thought I thought the court protection was was going to be that kind of like personal persons who were going to restrict me from doing everything wouldn't let me kind of leave my like live my life and do the things that I wanted to do but but how I look back at it now and to be able to help people who are listening to our to our recordings and that here is the court protection is only as good as you that uh, as you let them to be so kind of what I mean by that is the court protection can only do the help that you kind of let them help. And what I mean by that is, is I could easily like talk to people on sort of social media and that now and kind of give money left, right and centre and be left with nothing. But if I let the court of protection know that I'm doing this, they they would help me justify and help me understand if it's the right or wrong thing to be doing. Um, And obviously it's the wrong thing to be doing. But what I mean by that is if you let the court protection help you, they can be as good as as, as you want them to be in the sense that they can protect you as much as they need to and and protect the money that you want them to protect. So so what what I'm kind of trying to say from that is is we can easily lie to the court protection and tell them what they need to hear, but but to get to get their full quality work from them, you've got to tell them everything everything that you want them to hear and everything you don't want them to hear, so they can help you make the right decisions. Okay, though that is a, an important point, and it suggests that an open and honest approach is probably the best one in relation to working with the court of protection who was it who would you work with so i'm thinking about other people that might be listening to this and who might not have a direct experience of the court of protection who would they um have contact with if they were to uh use the court of protection who would they have to contact or how would that work in practice so again, using kind of my experience of of this, because like I say, waking up with a brain injury was the first time I'd heard about the, the like the issue, the problem, and, and the actual problem with the brain. So, regarding the court protection, the best thing would be to do is is to go to a solicitor, obviously after the car accident, and and appoint a solicitor. Um, then there are some solicitors who are at the level and qualification um, who can be appointed as the court protection. I'll say leader, let's say, as, as, a, as an easy kind of word to understand, and it'll be up to them whether they then seek help from the court protection. So what I mean by that is, is you'd need um, kind of a barrister sort of like levelled solicitor uh, who is appointed by the courts. Um, they would then obviously request the court protection's protection and um, obviously to be on board. And then and then you really kind of go from there. So so my advice from, from the question you've asked, Richard, in the short term, is to make sure you've got the right solicitor uh, appointed uh, before the court protection are brought in. 
Okay, no, that is really helpful. And it sounds like it is a, a legal process, so one that someone would require legal advice with. I think uh, that you mentioned the idea of a leader, someone who leads on that, that that's often also referred to as a court of protection deputy, isn't it? Which I often find is an odd word, an odd, odd term, but that's often the person who you would, as the um as the person who lacks capacity, who requires the court protection, you would have a deputy who would communicate with you directly about your money and um, discuss certain things if you needed to access money or had issues around money. So that that's really that's really helpful clarification. And thank you for that. I was thinking in the future, do you ever think that you'll not need the court protection? Do you think there'll come a time when you could manage without it or do you envisage that this will be the case now for maybe the rest of your life um to be honest with you there richard um i would love and obviously i'd love to get to the point of not being able uh, to rely on the court protection but because of how kind of like successful and how well i live at the moment because of the court protection i i i don't envisage in wanting to get rid of them in in the near future let's say because because like i say they're there for my protection and i could have lost a lot more money than than i could have gambled on in the sense of just handing it out kind of like willy-nilly let's say um but because of the court protection as well they kind of also help me save for things that i i want and that i might need in the future sort of thing so coming back to your original question richard um to be honest with you I'm happy with how the court protection helped me live. So I don't think I'd want to get rid of the court protection. And I think because I've got quite a good partnership with my deputy, um, yeah, I can't see myself kind of living without them, but that's through choice. That's not because I'm being forced to. Yeah. And and thank you for saying that, Alan, because the reason for clarifying relates to the fact that some of the people that I talk to and some people that I know who have had a brain injury who are in the court protection aren't entirely happy with that. And they there may come a time where uh, they'd much prefer to be able to han- handle their own money directly um, or they feel that elements of it are restrictive or unfair. So um, your experience, I think, is very useful. It sounds like it's been generally quite a positive experience although looking back can you think of any occasions where there have been frustrations around money or that you've become frustrated with your court of protection deputy yes looking back on it um i would probably say there's been there's been a, a number of times where kind of i've kind of like i said every swear word under the sun and wish they weren't there and wish I had this magic wand to kind of suddenly be in control of everything and and do what I wanted to do. But then at the same time, I'd look back on this this Alan at that time, whereas the beast and trying to do everything that I wanted to do, that I wouldn't be where I am today because I would have spent all the money that I had that was given because of obviously no fault of my own. And I, I probably would have been scrimping and scraping on just benefits, which no one can clearly live happily on, on just benefits alone. Um like I say, looking back, um, I think there were kind of like periods of my life and periods of my experience that I kind of needed to go through to then to be able to appreciate what actually the court protection do do for me. 
Um, so, yeah, I think we kind of all need to kind of experience this kind of like good and bad feeling. But from from my experience, the court and protection have only ever done me justice, not not anger. They they give me kind of everything that I wanted. Maybe not exactly at the time that I've asked for it. Um, but they've helped me kind of look and to kind of see into my future to kind of like saving is is kind of the best way to be able to afford something that you want rather than buy it and needing to pull back on everything that you want to kind of like purchase because you can't afford it, if that makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense, Alan. And I think what you what you've done there is you've you've looked back, you have that um that hindsight now that of, of looking back over a long period of time, because as we've discussed, it's it's an it's an awful long time now since your brain injury. Um, you've had a huge amount of experience of living with brain injury, and also you've grown up a lot. So you're you're talking with a great deal of maturity about these issues and um, things relating to to your money. Whereas maybe for some people, they're not going to necessarily have that hindsight, that benefit of hindsight, um, or they're still going to be struggling with adjusting to to many of the changes that might come with brain injury, some of which we've discussed in other podcasts. So I think that's really helpful. And I was thinking about the one of the issues here that you raised early on in this conversation was about vulnerability um, and the fact that after a brain injury, vulnerability can come in lots of different um, forms. And we've talked a bit today about financial vulnerability in particular. I just wondered maybe about other types of vulnerability that you think might be relevant after a brain injury and that you can talk from experience on yeah so i think i think uh, for people with brain injuries they're they're the most obvious kind of vulnerability i think sometimes could be could be memory because and i can talk um again of my experience because i met a lot of people kind of in rehab um who who weren't who weren't as fortunate as who I am kind of thing that that my memories kind of has kind of got that little bit better kind of as each year has gone on and as as I've grown up and the strategies that I've been given like I've I've been quite fortunate to be to be as as, as well recovered as I am now sort of thing so so people kind of listening to this like how I talk is is that I try and talk with kind of good advice so I'm not telling you kind of what you need to do or what you should do but ideally, I'd like you to kind of listen to me because what I'm giving you is sort of like as close to true facts as possible. So like I say, I've I've met a lot of people kind of in rehab and stuff that didn't want court protections and didn't want deputies and didn't want appointees and all this kind of stuff. And they they were kind of left with nothing. And 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 their their recovery, I think, would be a lot, lot longer than what mine's is because like I say, my deputy kind of helped me afford to go to rehab, helped me to be able to afford um, kind of after rehab. So what I mean by that is people coming to visit me kind of whilst at home or go to visit therapists and get treatment there um, and obviously still have kind of treatment to this day sort of thing. And this is all because of the court protections kind of like program and kind of how they've set the money out for now, for last year, for next year and for the year after. So so what, what I mean is, um, like I say, at the time, of the decision we might not always be in love with our court with our court protection or our deputy or an appointee or that person that kind of like helps to help us fund everything that we need um but give it time and they'll prove to you 
once you've built a good relationship, that their their advice is only to benefit yourself. So, again, coming back to the vulnerability and it being about memory, we can all remember having good times and being given what we wanted and what we needed and what we thought was right at the time. But it's easy to forget about the negatives that we don't want to hear, that we don't want to kind of listen to and that we don't feel in our need at that time of when asking. So coming back to vulnerability again, I think straight after a brain injury, we're very vulnerable in the sense that we haven't got a lot of understanding of what's going on, what's gone on to us and why we're in hospital maybe when we wake up or why our feelings are not as as normal as what we once remembered them or anything like that. So I think I think vulnerability needs to be kind of used a bit more softly in the sense of vulnerability could be more about not understanding until you've kind of experienced a certain time, moment or feeling. That that's uh, I think that's really insightful, Alan, thinking about those aspects of memory because I suppose I'm thinking back to the examples that you gave earlier about uh, occasions when maybe people have tried to um, exploit you or try to take advantage of you and your good nature, and that's involved money, is that things like memory become really important too, don't they? As well as other aspects of our thinking processing, like judgment, decision making, um, reading other people's motivations, what they might be thinking. And putting all of that together in order to arrive at a kind of decision. And memory forms an important part of all that, of that, because if you can't remember certain information, it's going to make it much more difficult to go through that process. Where do you think, um, in terms of your vulnerability at the moment, Alan, with regards to memory, how would you describe that or think about it? Do you, do you consider yourself to be quite vulnerable? Yeah, I, I think I think I am still vulnerable, and um, I don't think there'll be ever a time where I could say I'm not at all vulnerable. Um, like you were saying just a second ago as well, Richard, that all of us will come under the vulnerability label at some point in our life, um, and it's more about being able to experience life skills and having having the tools that you've equipped over life um, to be able to recognise and. Um, resist against future vulnerabilities. So I think where where I fall short at the moment um, is I'll definitely say social skills because of my eyesight. Um, sometimes some social skills can let me down. Um, but then I think I think I've got to learn to not trust people so quickly and and to to not always think that people who play the long game are kind of like trustworthy people because they could just be clever and the more people that they play the long game with the more rewards that they're going to earn from it so so i think i think as I, as i grow older i think i just need to be more clued up and more aware of what people are trying to do because you've got to think we are all going through a cost of living crisis at the moment so a lot of people are doing anything and everything that they can to get hold of a fiver here 10 pound there 100 pounds there so I think we all need to be aware that we're all vulnerable and we'll all be attacked by vulnerable bullies in, in life in the sense of the kind of point in our time, uh, our financial status or or the accessibility that people can have on us. Yeah, maybe with that 
comes an awareness. Well, and there's a there's a number of people out there that are actively looking to take advantage of vulnerable people, and that, as you imply, maybe that's greater at the moment because of the economic situation generally, um, and people not having the access to resources that they would normally have. So, I think it's a really good point. Do you feel, Alan, that because one of the things I was thinking about earlier was about insight and awareness, that one thing I've noticed and that we know is a big issue within brain injury, particularly but not only in the period directly following injury, those early stages of recovery, is that people's awareness of their condition might not always be as good as it could be. And they may take risks or make decisions that don't take account of their difficulties. And I just wondered for you, when you look back um, over the period, your period of recovery since brain injury, whether you think that's changed, whether you think that your awareness of yourself has changed or improved or or not. Yeah, so I, I it's strange enough because I, I can remember sort of waking up out of my coma kind of as if it happened only sort of like five, ten minutes ago. And kind of what I mean by that is it's quite a it's quite a strong memory of mine because I remember I remember waking up in hospital and not really not really know what, where I was or what I was doing kind of in a in a in a six kind of bedroom bedroom, let's say, in the sense of I was in I was in a ward, it wasn't a bedroom, but waking up with like five other people around me, like I didn't I didn't quite recognise I was in hospital. I didn't quite recognise that I was that I was slightly different to the person that I was prior to the injury. Um, I didn't recognise that I was I was half blind. Like I didn't recognise that half my body wasn't working as well as it should have been. Like I can I can remember kind of all this, um, and I think at the time I was quite overwhelmed with it. But I didn't quite understand the word overwhelmed, and I don't think I quite understood what the overwhelming feeling felt like. Uh, but being able to look back on it now, it was it was quite a scary period of my time, and I'm I'm kind of one of these people that like I want to kind of get better on my own, and I want to kind of like fight through weaknesses and things that I struggle with, kind of all by myself. So I was quite um, I was quite resistant to the help that was being given to me in the sense of like I was wanting to do it kind of all on my own. Um, but as as time was going on and kind of like therapists, doctors and specialists were talking to me and tell, telling me kind of what had happened and what was wrong with me, what what might not quite feel as good as it did or what might not happen as, as easy as it was, um, for me it was quite good to understand kind of what what I was kind of struggling at, what I was struggling with and what I was possibly going to struggle with in the future. Um, so I think as time's gone on, um, not only have I learned about my conditions and what might happen and what could happen if I try to improve it, but I think I think because I was learning as I was going along, um, that overwhelming feeling kind of died down quite quickly, to be fair, because because I had more of an understanding of what to expect. Yeah, I, that feeling of being overwhelmed, Alan, was, I, I, I feel many people who are listening to this might be able to relate to and it it references that period that you were talking about directly after your accident where you woke up in hospital and you weren't really fully aware of what had happened and you had to kind of piece it all together. And that that can take, for some people, quite a long time 
to put the pieces together and work out exactly what has happened and the magnitude of what's happened. Um, you talked about learning as you were going along, Alan, and I think that's a really nice way of thinking about this, is that maybe there's no other way of doing it, because as healthcare professionals, we often think that we can help people who are trying to piece it all together um, by giving them information or supporting them to um, become more aware of certain aspects of themselves. But the more and more people that I've talked to over the years who have had brain injuries, it's maybe led me to realise that people have to do that at their own pace and they do have to learn as they go along and they have to do that through their own experience as well. Sometimes like we're doing this podcast and hopefully and some people will listen and take bits from that and that will help them along the path. But ultimately, they may have to make some of the mistakes that you made and they may have to learn from experience, which can be quite hard. But sometimes that's the way that we do learn. And um, that can impress upon us the importance of certain things. And then we can resolve to live our life differently or seek support in different ways or stop doing certain things that uh, are not helping us. So it's a complex situation, but I think you described that beautifully today, Alan. One thing that is related to all of this, which is a big, big topic, and I I suspect we could maybe talk quite a lot, a lot about it in a future podcast, but it relates to the internet and vulnerability related to the internet and social media use. Um, and I just wondered if that might be helpful to talk about next time we um next time we meet yeah so i think i think we might need to kind of indulge a bit deeper into sort of the uh, vulnerabilities around social media because it's 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 it seems to be coming more and more an issue and is on the news more often than not with certain things and because people over overline in these sort of like keyboard warriors and whatever else you want to call them kind of thing but i think I think looking back again through my recovery, and I'm not saying that the way that I've done it is the only way to get better because it's not. We all have our own kind of like paths to go on. It just depends if you if you wish to listen to the guidance that's being given to you, sort of thing, to help you stay on the right track. So, kind of what I mean by that is, is if I could have had someone do these podcasts for me um, throughout my journey of my brain injury and and obviously the road to recovery, I think I would have been a little bit more advanced to kind of where I am to this day and why why do I say that because I think if I could have listened to someone who's gone through the negative phases of what I could have learned um it would have it would have kind of resulted in me not having to do what I have done and what I have gone through to have to learn to be able to know what's right so what I mean is that money that I did give away all those other things that we're going to talk of in the future that I didn't have to do um, I would have rather not done them because I've listened to someone and their guidance they gave me than, than do what I've done now and I've had to go through those negative parts of my life, my recovery, to be able to know the positive way to go. Yeah, there's that that saying, Alan, I'm sure you've heard it, that um, knowledge knowledge is power, isn't it? That if we know something that gives us um, opportunities and choices that we otherwise didn't have, and I think it is true up to a point. I think 
the only the only would I the only thing I would say, and then in relation to that is that after a brain injury, sometimes it's not always easy to take on board that information, is it? So it's trying to sort of provide it in certain ways that are more accessible for people that they feel they're able to access, they're able to process and and learn from. And yeah, hopefully if if this podcast goes some way towards that, that would be great because it would overcome that that gap that you've identified during the course of your rehab. And so I think it's a it's a really really good point that we need to provide information in different ways to people and also to the people that are working with them. And then that's um that's really a really interesting topic. Maybe what we should do is um do another podcast quite soon, which looks at the issues about internet and social media vulnerability, because I agree with you. I think it's just such a big issue and it'd be really helpful to get your own ideas and experiences related to that. But thank you for talking today, Alan. No, well, thank you for having me uh, on board, Richard. Uh, I just want to kind of leave you with one last thing and before we kind of close this up for today is coming back to your question that you asked me a little while ago is, do I think uh, people need to uh, be kind of left to recover and to understand when they need the help? Um, I believe a little bit of self-recovery is is good, as well as kind of guidance from therapists, practitioners, doctors and nurses. Um, I, th- I, think, I think you need to kind of first identify who you are as a person and who you are now with the injury try and combine both of them together and then listen to the guidance as well as to help help you understand what it is you can do what's your maximum and what you could potentially make your new maximum and become the better you yeah and as you were talking alan it got me thinking there about values that as psychologists now we're increasingly aware of the importance of values in terms of influencing people's behavior and helping them move in the right direction with their goals and objectives but maybe one thing that's important from what you've just said is that of our personal values and that's different for each of us so the things that are important to you um, may well be similar to the things that would have been important to you before your brain injury because they might relate to how you've been brought up and um, and certain ideas or or things that really are important to all of your family and i think that those kind of things really sometimes don't change after brain injury sometimes they do and it's got trying to sort of work with each individual and their own individual values but no thank you for adding that comment Alan. i think that's really helpful and um yeah look forward to talking next time thank you richard